we always miss Laura and Emily, but it's kind of fun to have the boy band up here. And so, bye bye. No, we won't do that. Kind of uh, glad to see you this morning. We are continuing with our series on Genesis. We have this week and next week. We're going to actually spend some time in. Um, we're talking about Joseph uh, today. A couple different life things that he went through. Uh, and but let me ask you this: We had a a big 55-gallon barrel of water. It was all clean, perfectly clean, safe, pure water. But then we took an eyedropper and we put one drop of anthrax in it. Would you drink it? Well, of course not. Of course not. See, we, we understand. I mean, even though it would be very much diluted and the chances would be, I would think, fairly good that we wouldn't have uh, contract anthrax from us, but we don't accept impurity in a lot of things in our lives. Like if we go to, say, a hotel or go to a room and maybe it smells like smoke and we don't like that, we're going to ask for another room. Uh, we're going to, you know, look at the water that we drink and, you know, what, it's, what it tastes like. And, I mean, here, I remember hearing how silly it was to buy bottled water. Now we do it all the time. It's not a big deal. Um, but because we, we are thinking in terms of that water being pure. Go to a restaurant, there's a hair in your food. Yeah. Just give me something else. Bring me some, bring me, you know, redo it, please. Even, this is kind of weird to think about. Even the clothes that we buy. You realize when you go to the store and you buy clothes, someone else might have put that on. Now I just go, ooh, that's different, that's weird. Now, now think about this. This is something we never think about but it's true. See, right now, as I'm breathing in, I'm putting the air in my lungs, and then I'm expelling air out. Well, guess what? You're sucking in that stuff that's been in my lungs, and vice versa. Isn't, it's like, ew. <laughs> I mean, you can't hold your breath forever, but we don't think about that. We don't think about how uh, how common these things are, the air we breathe in, in each other's lungs all the time. But however, what we're going to focus on today, and we, we really debated, there's a lot we could have talked about with Joseph's life. And as the pastors and I, other pastors and I work together, we just felt this is something that's so relevant to us as a culture and a people that we felt it was really important to talk about purity, especially in Joseph's life here. Well, it, it refers to any kind of purity, but of course this story it focuses more on our sexual purity. So when we think about how we want everything clean and sanitized and using your Norwex and your, all those different things to get things clean, what about our hearts and our minds? Uh, what would happen if we became so sensitive to our inward purity as we have for our outward purity for these other things that we want to keep clean, our hearts and minds and our lives? Um, it is difficult. It is getting harder and harder and harder uh, for each generation to remain pure in these areas. I mean, it was, it was tough for my dad, it was tougher for me, and it's tougher for my grandkid, my kids and then their grandkids because it's, it's just the way the culture is. We're not at all uh, sensitive to these things at, uh, in, in our life. We grow up with them. We think they are normal and natural to do. Uh, TV, music, internets, billboards, it's everywhere. We can't get away from it. It's on our phones. Well, all of a sudden, we're, we're going to be besieged with an ad or a pop-up or something that's going to say, 
my goodness, where did that come from? And wondering, you know, uh, you know, our world just thinks it's normal and natural. How do we deal with that? Well, there's three different ways that church folks have dealt with culture and impurity. Uh, and one way you can kind of address that is to be imitation, just be like everybody. Want to fit in, want to be relevant. There's some truth to that. I know a missionary, um, uh, oh, I knew, I just had his name and it's gone. Um, Hudson Taylor, there it is. Hudson Taylor was one of the first uh, American or Western missionaries who decided he was going to dress like the people he was trying to minister to. He went to China, and so he wore a Chinese outfit, a dress, cut his hair the way they did, because he wanted to fit in. Well, those weren't moral issues. Those were trying to be fitting, fit in and be relevant uh, as well. So, but you could take that too far. You could start doing and being involved with things that are morally impure. The other way to do this is isolation. In other words, be like nobody. <laughs> You're going to completely separate yourself out from all of culture in the world uh, because you, you don't want to fit in to those things at all. Uh, the trouble is with, now again, there could be some health with that in certain things uh, for certain folks where they say, I am going to completely avoid a, uh, maybe some of the questionable things uh, of life or those gray areas. And they say, I'm going to be really far into the very clear area uh, because I can't handle it. I can't deal with it. Uh, the early church did this where they were, um, uh, they took all of their, it was in Acts, they took all of their magic books uh, that they were reading, or I guess they'd be scrolls, and they burned them all. They said, I, I want to avoid that completely. And so there's some health to that. But the other thing is, is we're supposed to be in the world, not of the world. We're supposed to be able to share. If you're isolated, if you're hiding in a fortress, then that's kind of hard to do. Uh, you know, it's the old uh, expression is you want, you want your boat to be in the water, but you don't want the water in your boat. You don't want the world in your life, but you got to be out in the water. But there's a third option, and that's insulation. In other words, we're going to be as Christ's body. We're going to be out there, but also know that we are protected as believers in Christ. Uh, the standard is very, very high. I'm going to read a few verses here out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. And it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. What is it? That you abstain from sexual immorality. You want to know what God's will for your life? This is it. Uh, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Gentiles are not just non-Jews. They're people who don't have God, any sense of God in their life. So they do whatever they want. Uh, that there's no one, uh, that no one transgressed uh, and wronged his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger of these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. Very high standard. Therefore, whoever disregards this, you don't think this is a big deal? Disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit. How is that possible? Well, the Holy Spirit gives us his presence and, and power to do that. Joseph's story gives us some other clues of how we can follow through with it, uh, with that kind of purity, not just outwardly, but also in our hearts. 
Uh, just to summarize where we, uh, with his story, it starts largely in Genesis chapter 37. And actually, if you count all the chapters up, there's more chapters in Genesis dedicated to Joseph than any other person, even to Abraham. Uh, there's a lot we could say about him, but as I said earlier, we decided to focus on this particular story this week, and then we'll cover some additional things uh, generally next week. Um, but we, can't, we just can't do all that. Now, um, what do we know about him? Well, we saw he comes from a dysfunctional family. I mean, when your siblings literally talk about killing you, yeah, that'll get you on Jerry Springer. Uh, right there. Uh, his dad had multiple wives. There was jealousy and strife. His dad also made a ma major error. Not only did he play a favorite, he made sure that everyone know, hey, Joseph's my favorite. I made him this cool coat. Just so every time you see that, that really annoys you. Uh, but I mean, I'm sure he didn't say those words, but that was the effect of it. Uh, and then his brothers fake his death, sold, sell him into slavery, say, oh, sorry about your son, dad. Your old favorite must have got killed. Uh, and then he becomes a slave in Egypt, which at that time was a, a very wicked and corrupt culture as well. So how does this man, a young man, he's 17, 18 years old when he gets sold, how does he survive? How does he live insulated but not isolated. He's still got to live and go through his work. He gets sold as his brothers, by the way, his brothers talk about killing him outright, but then they think, well, let's make some money off of them. They find some traders coming by. They sell him into slavery, who then sells Joseph to Egypt, to a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar is the captain of the guard. Uh, so he's He's kind of the CIA, FBI of the Egyptians. Uh, and you got to think of yourself, you're, you're this young guy, you're new culture, new language, but it, there, there's no talk of the Lord. There's no talk of all the promises from Abraham to Isaac to your, da to your dad and everything. Uh, and surrounded by perversion, there's no sense of God at all. They just did whatever they want. Well, let's jump into his story at this point. Genesis chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And it, by the way, this is, this is going to be a problem. And I'll explain that in a minute. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. The master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he, that is, Potiphar made Joseph overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time he had made him overseer in his, of his, in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sakes. The blessings of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left uh, all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything except for the food that he ate. Imagine your only worry every day is, oh man, what am I going to have for lunch? I'm really stressed about that. It's like, get over it. Yeah. And that's your only worry. But he put Joseph in charge of everything. And there was something about him. He said, boy, he's got some kind of divine touch on this him. 
on him. Whatever he touches, it works out really well. I'll, I'll kind of piggyback on that. Put Joseph in charge of my, my bank account, in charge of my fields, everything to do with his house. Uh, it doesn't mean he gave Joseph his job uh, because he was appointed and put in place by Pharaoh. So Potiphar had to, had to do that, those things, but everything he had, he didn't worry about it at all. Something broke in the house, oh, Joseph will take care of it. Some, some issue with one of the other servants, Joseph will take care of it. Some problem with the bank, his ID got stolen, Joseph would take it. Whatever it is, Joseph's going to take care of all these things for him. And so he didn't have to worry about that at all. And I, I said a moment ago, that's, that's a problem, that everything's going really well. And it doesn't sound like it should be a problem, but here's what often happens. When, we, when things are kind of going well, we tend to get a little comfy. We tend to let our guard down. Uh, I remember one of, my, one of my greatest times of faith is when we were we would have loved to have lived paycheck to paycheck when that would have been prosperity. When we, you know, we were done with the paycheck by, a, by you know, say week two or day two of the week and wondering how we're going to buy groceries the rest of the time. Now those were, those were challenging times, but times of great blessing as we saw God provide. But as you get kind of more prosperous, more pros- prosperous, you stop thinking about the Lord. So yes, while it was nice, it could also lull us into a false sense of security. Attacks come, and that's what happened to Joseph. Genesis 39, starting in the middle of verse 6, now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So on top of it all, he was good looking. And after that time, the master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Now she's pretty brazen, obviously. Now, just on a side note, is it a sin, is it a problem to notice someone who might be physically attractive? No. No, not at all. It's not even a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted in every way, yet without sin. It's the dwelling on them, chewing on these ideas, uh, but, it's, but to dwell on it. Now, this woman, we don't know a whole lot about her background. I suspect that this kind of activity, well, let's just say, was habitual for her. But, and so she lingered. Ooh, look at the new servant. And wondered about him. Well, Joseph is going to resist this. How? Verse 8. But he, that is Joseph, refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Well, sounds like what first thing Joseph did is he decided beforehand. He made some commitments beforehand. God's word is critical in this. What does God's word say? Well, we read earlier in Thessalonians about being pure, keeping our hearts and minds pure. So when that temptation comes up, it's like, you know what? I already made the decision. I think it's C.S. Lewis. 
who says, if you're lusting after ham and eggs, you've already committed breakfast in your heart. It's the idea of you're making your decision what you're going to avoid. If, if you're trying to work on your weight and not eat junk food, but you buy a big, juicy chocolate eclair at the store, you've already sinned. You've already broken that rule. So the best way is to decide beforehand, you know what, I'm not even going to go in the bakery department. I'm not going to smell that beautiful cooking bread, sugary smells. I'm not going to do it. The decision's already made. It sounds like that for Joseph. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How could a young man or a young woman or any old man or old woman keep his way pure by living according to your word, God's word? All of Psalm 119 is about God's word. So we have to ask, what is going to be my standard of authority? What am I going to listen to about what is pure and impure? What am I going to base my life on? I could do it on, the, on God's word, or I could pick another standard. I could pick my own standard. I could pick what I think is pure or impure. Or I could use culture standard of what's pure and impure. You know, you can, but if you decide on God's words first, you're, you're, it's easier to make that choice when you're not in the pressure of temptation. If you look at culture standards, and it's easy. We could find all kinds of examples. I mean, just the other day, I read a headline that it was, <laughs> it just shocked me. It, it said, man refuses to sleep with his girlfriend for four months. <sighs> My goodness, how weird is that? But see, that's where our culture is, where that's strange and unusual. And that's what our kids are growing up uh, it's, we got to make our decisions for especially sexual purity before we're in those situations, before you're, uh, you're on a business trip. Um, I remember it was the, my, one of my first professional jobs. We were doing a computer install in Toledo. And so we're flying, and that's when we lived in California. So we're flying all the way to Toledo. And I was traveling with my coworker, happened to be female, but she knew all about what we were doing. I was learning it. I was kind of in training. And I was wondering, what's, what's going to be our arrangements uh, for our hotel room our, and where we're going to stay? And fortunately, I found out that um, uh, they, the company arranged separate rooms. But some companies don't because it's no big deal. But we had our own rooms. But then she says, hey, you know, a lot of times we'll just grab some food and we'll rent a movie. And... And it's like, no, I don't feel real comfortable with that. I made the decision beforehand. And she was very nice and gracious and friend of mine to this day. But that decision has to be made beforehand. We have to decide this. God knows better. The world thinks it's nuts. The world thinks it's crazy. The world thinks it doesn't make any kind of sense at all. Why aren't you doing what makes you happy and fulfilled? But I will tell you, I... I deal and counsel with men, especially constantly with regret and wishing they can go back. Uh, but Joseph refused beforehand. So that's one thing he did. Make the decision before you're under the pressure. The other thing he did is he magnifies sin's lies. He was clear. He said, look, 
Mrs. Potiphar. Your husband has trusted me with everything in this house. Everything. I'm not going to break that trust. If, if I did that, if we were together, that trust would be broken. But he doesn't stop there. He said it would be sin against Potiphar, and it would be sin against God himself. And he names it. He says it's wicked. We don't use that word much these days, that this attitude or that attitude or this action is wicked. Yes, there are things that are still wicked. Well, don't be so judgmental. But sin is heavy. I know in the old Puritan days, boy, they weigh, they talk about the, the depths of sin, and there's a lot of truth in there. And in, in many ways, we need to get back to that because we grow up in this culture and we think, oh, it's a mistake. Oh, I just slipped up a little bit. Well, those statements are, I guess, technically true, but there's a heaviness, there's a weightiness to sin. Sin, sin's seriousness is just not breaking a rule. It's not like you were caught chewing gum at school. It violates God's character. God is holy. God is pure. So Joseph understands this and he says, look, it's not just this command. It's not the standard the Lord has set, some random standard, some evolved cultural standard that is broken. It violates the very character of God. And it's a seriousness to it. And it, you know, sin lies all the time. When does sin lie? All the time. Every time. And it seems so good. I've used this example before, because I, and I'll use it again here, because I love it. Charles Schultz wrote the Peanuts comic strip. And once in a while, he brings out Lucy with a football. And every time she talks Charlie Brown into kicking that ball. Every time. And he's, no, you're going to pull it away. You're gonna... And she talks and talks to him. And sure enough, he gets convinced. And he goes and takes a running start. And every time, he falls on his back. Never in the entire history of, and I don't know, I mean, what was it, 50 years he wrote that comic strip? Never does Charlie Brown kick the football. He's making a message. You know what he's saying? Sin is the football. It's going to lie to you every time. And it's going to look so good, and it's going to sound so good. Oh, this will make me happy. This will make me fulfilled. This is what, this is what I really want. Lying to you. And Joseph saw that. Joseph saw, or yeah, he saw that. Boy, if we do this, everything's going to fall apart. To be able to understand sin's consequences, think it, think it through. Think it through. I still have a list. It's in, my, it's in my, one of my old Bibles. I was challenged in Bible college to uh, one of the, you know, we, we had chapel four times a, a week. So you hear a lot of messages. And there's a few that you remember. And this one I remember. He was a graduate from our school. He, had, uh, he was in ministry, he committed adultery, and he got fired. 
and he came back, he was restored, and he came and talked to us. And he was telling us, guys and ladies, here's what you gotta do. You gotta write out the consequences. And I did. And I still have that original list. Think about it. Don't think you're self-immune. Don't think this will never happen to me. But write out, this is how my life is going to be completely messed up. Magnify it. And, that, and I'm so glad Joseph did that. Guard your mind. In verse uh, 10, he says, and she spoke to Joseph every day. She was tenacious. You could just imagine her saying, oh, hi, Joseph. You look so nice today. You're, oh, you're so strong. I, you know, I wish, here's a big one. I wish my husband was more like you. Ah, thank you, sweetie. She wanted Joseph to be thinking about her. Temptations are like that. Rarely, rarely does someone go off the deep end all at once. It usually starts with doubting God. Remember the garden? Did God really say? Did he really make that command? We buy that lie, I want this. Compromise, compromise, and more compromise. Imagine if Joseph said, well, you know, what if we just had lunch? maybe nothing would happen. But just becoming more involved with her was something he had to avoid. We can find ourselves after a little, little compromise, a little closer to the, to the edge, closer, 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 and then one day we woke up and we find ourselves doing something we never thought we would do. Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now, you think, wow, I mean, this guy stood up. This guy stood for the Lord. He had his heart right, and you think, man, everything must have just worked out great for Joseph. Folks, we could do everything right, but the circumstances don't always follow through. Middle of verse 10, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her, but one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men in the house were there, were, was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, here she goes again, lie with me. But he left the garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he left his garment in her hand, and boy, was she mad. Ooh, boy. And fled out of the house. She called to the men of her household and said to him, see, he, she's talking about her husband, he, my husband, has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and cried out, and I cried out with a loud voice. Kind of ironic, isn't it? She accused Joseph to do the very thing he refused to do and she wanted to do. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment behind me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until his, her master came home, and she told him the same story. That Hebrew servant who you brought here among us came to me to laugh at me, but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled the house. He's slandered. He's falsely accused. But it also shows us something to do in the face of temptation. When all else fails, run. Get out of that situation. Get out of that place where you very well may slip and fall. I've known of men, gone on business trips, and they have their, their TV, again, the, the hotel thinks they're nuts, they have their TV removed from their room. 
They don't want that there. Or take your spouse with you. There's a term in the New Testament, especially when it comes to elders, it's called being beyond reproach. It doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean that at all. It, it means, and it's kind of a crude way to express it, it means that no one can blackmail you without lying like this woman did. In other words, someone could accuse you, but everyone else could say, no way. No way. Uh, personally, and what I've done for ministries is I've tried to set certain rules so I remain above reproach. Because uh, it's tough, because sometimes you, you find yourself in a counseling situation, and it may be uh, with a woman, and so I will not do that alone, one-on-one -on -one with, with another woman. I'll ask Trish to come with me. I'll, I'll do, I'll meet publicly. Like last, last Sunday, it wasn't a counseling situation, but we had someone asking us about our land again. Happened to be female. Said, well, let's meet over at the corners. And so that's public place. That's above reproach. Someone could say, I saw you with, it's like, well, first of all, Trish was with me too, but it doesn't matter. What are you going to do? It's public. So that is also helpful. It's also, though, possible to get falsely accused. Ask Joseph. Later on, we're going to see he's tossed in prison. This will be more next week, but he's also put in charge. But what did, while, while things didn't work out for him circumstantially, what did it do when it came to the temptation? He was very successful. We have to be careful. We have to be wise. Yeah, I, I would want to help and counsel uh, uh, some, a woman in our church, but also need to uh, still want to be wise about that. In the, in the end, love should win out when there's a real need. But also when it comes to any temptation, how is your walk with God? Are you spending consistent time with Him in prayer? Are you spending time in His Word? Why are those important? Because the more we get to know Him, it's almost automatic the more you love Him. And the more it's less about following a rule and more about wanting to be faithful to, the, to, to Him whom you love. And then just practically, what are we putting into our minds? Whether it be the, uh, a movie or entertainment that we watch, internet, games, television, what are we putting in there? Are there some that where you just say, you know what? Uh, that's taking too much of my brain cells. I'm going to think of something else. Consider also, as part of our application, the image of God. We saw this early in Genesis. You and I, everyone bears the image of God. And that person that you're lusting over on that screen or at your workplace or in your neighborhood, they have the image of God too. And I'll tell you, especially for guys, I'll tell you a great way to deal with that. If that person or individual, whether it's someone you know or don't know, pray for them. Pray that God would say, you know, it's like, they're, God, they're beautiful. It's okay. Admit that. It's not, again, it's not a wrong. Say, that's an attractive person. I think it's the same is true for the ladies. But pray that God would protect it. That God protect that beauty. Protect it. That, that it would not be abused. It's hard to lust after 
someone you're praying for. A couple other passages along with us, just again to show the weight. Uh, Ephesians 5.3 says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as proper in the saints. Not a compromise I could see in there at all. No room to wiggle there. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 2 verse 22. Two's a wild in that one, huh? Uh, so flee youthful passions like Joseph and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with all those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You know, I want to address though, because there very well may be someone sitting here and thinking, you know what? I've blown it. I've, I've let things into my life. I've let things into my life. Now what do I do? We sang a song earlier, what he's done. You can't, you can't do any penance. I'll read my Bible solid for, for a week, every waking moment. That would be nice for you to do, but it doesn't impress God. You gotta trust him. Our sin is nothing compared to the sacrifice of Jesus, regardless of what, what sin we're talking about. Paul mentions in Romans, he says, and it says, where, where sin abounded, grace abounds all the more. Oh, sin all I want. Okay, well, no, don't do that. That's called, then you, then, then you have presumption on top of everything else. But even that, God can heal. My track record is nowhere better or worse than any other guy. He heals. He heals. He restores. He cleanses. And it's a, it is a beautiful thing when someone who has let their life follow that pattern and they're just full of regret after regret and pain after pain after pain and then all of a sudden they realize how amazing the grace of God is. He's not justifying anything. Oh, it's okay. No, it's not okay. But he's that good. He is, he is so effective at bringing in cleansing and healing. Remember who Jesus hung out with? Tax collectors and prostitutes. And many of them became leaders and pillars in the church. And even today, with, I mean, I, the stories, we work with um, um, living in liberty of, of helping women come out of the streets and to hear their stories of everything they've been involved with and addictions and you name it. And then they find that they can be healed and cleansed and as beautiful and pure as the day they were born. That's how wonderful he is. That is the cleansing power of his blood. Confess and repent. Uh, co confess, and the more I think about that word, I think it's better to say admit. Because we, you know, God already knows. You say, God, you're right. And maybe, you're, maybe your issues have just been in your mind. Well, admit those and repent. He will restore and cleanse you. A couple more passages to write down. 1 John 1, 9. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. How much righteousness? 
All of it. All of it. Psalm 51. Wow. David wrote that after his, he, he admitted his sin with Bathsheba and murder. And it is a complete appeal. Lord, you cleanse me. You cleanse me because I'm making up for it, because I'm repenting? No. Lord, you cleanse me because you're righteous and you're good and you're gracious. See, our faith isn't on us. Our faith is on him and who he is. And if he declares you clean, then clean you are. Sounding a little like Yoda. Clean you are. So, and, and again, I've been there. I know it. You think, but I don't feel that way. I still feel some guilt. I feel, still feel some remorse. It's not about what you feel like. And there are times that I've prayed to God, I said, God, I still feel like a schmuck, like a jerk, like a pervert. And God says, yes, but I've cleansed you. Believe what I say, he tells me. Believe what he says to you as well. Your, our feelings do not determine our cleansing. His mercy does. And then take the steps. Part of repenting is to avoid impurity in the future. We are secret and private to a fault, but if you could find another person, someone whom you trust, you could say, I'm struggling in this area. Again, it could be any temptation. And ask them to come alongside and help you and check on you and call you and text you. Uh, those, those are helpful. And then if, it, and if you're still struggling with issues, then amp that up. Bring others in. Get, get into uh, our, our, our counselor, um, Sam. We have his flyer back there. Do what you need to do. Uh, be, be part of a, a Celebrate Recovery or some other group that will help say, look, I believe that this sin stuff is really bad and I'm gonna take the steps I need to. Let's pause and pray. Let's, first of all, a couple, couple things that we could praise him for. Remember, we're made pure in Christ. I don't care how long you've been a believer. We're made pure, made justified from our sins because of what he did. And then we could also stay that way in Jesus. Regardless of how hard it is today, he's able to help us stay that way. And his precepts are right and good. God's not trying to keep you from fun. He's not trying to keep you from fun and doing what everyone else is doing. He's trying to bless you to live according to, to, to his very character. And this last one, boy, maybe someone's on your mind to pray for someone who's bought that lie that impurity is going to make you happy. The only thing I want to mention there is maybe use a, another name or an initial or something just to be careful. Uh, we don't want to gossip in our prayers. So let's spend some time, and I'll close us a little bit, uh, uh, and thank God for this message from Joseph's life. David wrote, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You, Lord Jesus, are the only means, method, path to righteousness and holiness uh, and purity. And we, we give you all the credit for that. It is not our self-control. It is not our, our wise decisions. Uh, it, is, it is by you, by your power. 
but Lord, you also restore us when we slip, whatever, whatever the impurity is. Uh, Lord, because your precepts are right and they are good and they are full of life. You have words of life. You're not trying to take away our fun. You're trying to give us great satisfaction. And one day all will be good, all will be right. God, I pray for those who are struggling um, with this area now and or, or um, see their kids working through that. They need to have hard talks, um, but there would be a, um, a, an openness. There would be a, a sensitivity. There would be a, a, a trust and faith in you for that victory. Because, Lord, you do bring the victory as well as the cleansing. In your name, amen.